Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Volume. Hoops Tonight is presented by FanDuel. The NBA is back and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. This is my favorite sports betting app that is out there. It is safe and easy to use, easy to get your money in and out. I love that cash out feature. So if you're in good shape with one of your bets and you don't want to risk garbage time, you can get your money out quickly. Use promo code JasonT and download the FanDuel app today to make every moment more this NBA season. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. one 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday, everyone. We are live on AMP. If you guys are watching on YouTube or on the podcast feeds, don't forget that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get our post-game analysis. We are going to hit on six games tonight. 
including 12 different teams, starting with the Golden State Warriors getting shellacked on the road in Madison Square Garden without Steph Curry. You guys know the drill before we get started. Don't forget to subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And then last but not least, if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. So the Knicks, the New York Knicks have won eight games in a row. Now, I don't want to rain on the parade too much here, but there, it is against a weaker stretch of their schedule. They beat the Cavs without Jared Allen. They beat the Atlanta Hawks at home uh, with most of their guys playing, so that's a solid win. Then they beat the Charlotte Hornets and the Sacramento Kings. They beat a terrible Bulls team twice, and then they had a solid, uh, a solid road win in Indiana, um, and then tonight against Golden State without Steph. Now, to be clear, winning streaks are almost always against weaker stretches of your schedule. To be honest, with how talented the league is now, it's nearly impossible to rip off a win streak against really good teams. Just go to ESPN.com and go to standings. And if you click on expanded standings, they show the breakdown of, you know, versus teams that are 500 or better versus teams that are below 500. And even the best teams in the league are only winning, like the Bucks and Celtics are only winning like three out of every four games against teams that are above 500. That's not against the top 10 teams in the league. That's not against the top five teams in the league. That's literally against anybody who wins more than they lose. You're going to usually drop one out of four of them, even if you're one of the best teams in the league. And most of the good teams are hovering around 500 there. So I want to be clear, it's typical for win streaks to happen against weaker stretches of their schedule. <clears throat> um, if you zoom in on it a little bit, You've got three Knicks averaging double figures over this span. Coming into tonight, Julius Randle was averaging 27, 11, and 4 over the seven-game streak on 59% true shooting. Got his pull-up jump shot going finally. He's shooting 40% on six attempts per game. That was something that was he was struggling with a lot last year and at the beginning of this year. R.J. Barrett, 22 points and six rebounds on 55% true shooting. He's hitting his catch-and-shoot threes, about 38% on five attempts per game during the streak. And Jalen Brunson, 20 points and six assists on 55% true shooting, 43% on eight pull-up jumpers per game, which is great, 64% on pull-up threes, which is outstanding. And I really like Quentin Grimes. He's pitching in about 12 a game uh, during the streak on 45% from three. I love his aggressive spot-up shooting. Gets really good lift. Um, when you get really good lift in shooting situations, it limits the muscle memory part at the top of the shot. It makes it easier for you to replicate your shot so that it's, you know, easier to be more consistent as a shooter. So there's lots of good stuff going on offensively for the New York Knicks. But the truth of the matter is, is they're winning because they're just absolutely dominating teams physically. Um, this is one of the most commonly forgotten things about the game of basketball. And I think highlights and just the way that the game is consumed by the younger generation. Uh, no disrespect, it's been like that forever, and that's just part of what makes the game marketable. But everything focuses on the scoring and on the ball handling and the nifty passes and all of the highlight type of plays around the game of basketball. But at its core, basketball is a contact sport. This is something I hammer home all the time with the high school kids that I coach. Like, yeah, all of this is cool, and I want you guys to get better at this stuff. And we're going to practice this stuff. But at the end of the day, we have to win the, in the trenches. We have to win in all of the physical confrontations to have any chance to win basketball games. A huge chunk 
of what decides basketball games is physicality. So coming into tonight, obviously the numbers haven't updated yet, but in the last seven games, the Knicks have a ni- are only giving up 99 points per 100 possessions. They're the only team in the league giving up under 100 points per 100 possessions in their last seven games. So they're number one in defense. And this is crazy. They're grabbing 56.3% of available rebounds, which is first in the league by all. Tonight against Golden State, they out-rebounded them 47-29. to 14 offensive rebounds to just four for Golden State. 50-38 to 38 in points in the paint. 36 points off of turnovers, just running it down their throat every time they get a, every time they force a turnover. 16 to 6 in second chance points. And it's funny because if you look at it up close, you know, I was I kept checking the box score through the game because I was like, you know, when they're in the half court, Golden State's actually playing pretty well. You know, Jordan Poole's making shots. You got guys contributing, you know, on the other end, they're doing an okay job in the half court on defense against, uh, against the Knicks getting stops. And you looked at the box score and Golden State, through almost three quarters of the game, was out shooting the Knicks. They were shooting about 53%. The Knicks were shooting about 51% through a good two-thirds, almost three-fourths of the game. They were executing better when they were in those half-court settings. But after the game, the New York Knicks shot 13 more shots than the Golden State Warriors. By, by securing offensive rebounds, by forcing turnovers in the physicality of the game, they give themselves more shots on goal. You guys hear me talk a lot about half-court offense, half-court defense when, we, uh, when we're evaluating teams. And a huge reason for that is because that's the, static bas- that's the static basketball environment. And when you get into the deep stretches of the playoffs, the static half-court environment is a good way to evaluate teams because teams are usually a little more coached at that phase. There's a lot more scouting. You're in front of all your, uh, the other team's sets. Usually, you're going to take away the easy stuff and force teams to beat you in the half court. That's why we look at that. But at the end of the day, who cares if I'm getting 1.17 points per possession and you're getting 1.14 points per possession if I get 13 more shots than you? Because if I get 13 more shots than you, that's more than 13 additional points that I'm pitching into the pile there just by beating you in all of the physicality areas of the game. And, you know, we're going to do, uh, I'm not going to stay too long on the Knicks tonight because we want to do a deep dive on them. So we're working on doing these deep dives with uh, adding film. As some of you guys noticed last week, we did like a 25-minute breakdown on the Memphis Grizzlies, really diving into what they do on both ends of the floor with a lot of footage. We are going to do that with the New York Knicks. That is going to air on Thursday. So keep an eye on the feeds. We're going to do a deep dive into the Knicks on Thursday. But make no mistake. We're going to talk a lot about individual players. We're going to talk a lot about individual skill sets. But the New York Knicks are winning because they are bigger and stronger than you. They're playing harder than you. And and Tom Thibodeau has them committed to all of the details of the game of basketball. Um, The Golden State Warriors continue to struggle with physicality, specifically on the road. They are now uh, not counting tonight's stats. Obviously, they are 29th in road defense, 25th in road rebounding. And they have the personnel to be better with Kevon Looney and Draymond Green. They have enough front court personnel to to thrive in those environments. They have athletic wings like Jonathan Kaminga and Andrew Wiggins who can crack down and grab defensive rebounds. They have guards in Steph Curry and Klay Thompson that have a history of competing in those settings. They are capable of being better. 
A big way to tell is just look at how they play at home. They are third in defense at home, 15th in rebounding at home, which is not great, but a hell of a lot better than they do on the road. Now, yes, Andrew Wiggins being out absolutely hurts there. But this has been an issue throughout the season, even when Andrew Wiggins has been available. At some point, the urgency on the road is going to have to kick in. And I think a big part of this is just how many young guys they rely on in their rotation. We talked about this a lot. I think it was about a week ago. Um, But when you're a young basketball player, you're usually more emotional. You struggle to replicate success. You struggle to avoid failure because you just haven't learned the lesson enough times. And you don't really have good habits when you're a young player. It's no different than just being an adult. Like, you know, I'm a lot better at taking care of my adult life now in my 30s than I was in my 20s. I was a lot more sloppy with my habits and details throughout my daily schedule, right? You know, you just learn to be an adult. And that extends to the game of basketball with uh, competing the same way every single night, not just feeding on the energy of the home crowd or getting discouraged when the road crowd gets energetic as your team is starting to struggle. I think that's a big part of it. Young players have always struggled with that home road dynamic. But we're going to find out. They got Brooklyn tomorrow night. We're going to find out if they can bring a better effort on the road against a team in Brooklyn that's a very good defensive team, but that is not very physically imposing. So they should be able to hang uh, hang around a little bit better there. The one last thing I want to talk about with Golden State with Jordan Poole, um, you know, this is becoming kind of a recurring theme. He had 26 points tonight on 18 shots. He had several highlight plays. There was a Euro step there in the uh, early second half that was just ridiculous. And I just remember thinking, I'm not sure how many athletes in the NBA can make that kind of Euro step while moving at the, the sheer straight line speed that he was moving at on that play. But he only had one assist. And this is becoming a thing with Jordan Poole, particularly when Steph is out of the lineup. He, When Steph is there and the team is kind of functioning the way it normally does, Jordan Poole embraces a role, which is shot creator, you know, tertiary shot creator, if you want to call it that, behind Steph and Clay, right? But when Steph is out, he almost like, it almost like he gets in his own head to the point where he thinks, I have to shoot my way into replacing what Steph brings to the table. And more often than not, what ends up happening is you'll see games like that where you'll have 26 points, but the team doesn't really jive on the offensive end of the floor. And he was a minus 27 tonight. And so I'd like to see, you know, and this is going to be a good little extended stretch here. Steph did a little interview on the sideline during the game where he basically said, I'm not doing anything right now, not even touching a basketball, probably won't touch a basketball till January 1st. So Steph's going to be out a little while here. You know, we, we heard about that when that original report came out. Adrian Wojnarowski said a few weeks, Sham's like, eh, probably more than a month. And Steph all but confirmed that tonight. So what that means is Jordan Poole is going to have a long stretch of basketball here. And I hope that he understands that the best chance he has of doing his part to help the team win is to more embrace shot creation rather than shot making. And shot creation is all of the above. Shot creation is about making reads. Sometimes that means you're shooting. Sometimes that means you're creating shots for your teammates. But no matter what, your best chance to win is if the whole team is vibing offensively. So I'd like to see him tweak his approach just a little bit. But dude, the the talent is insane. And a a lot of times we forget because Jordan Poole's been around a long time. Like Jordan Poole's been playing it. Like he was playing in that play-in game against the Lakers, making big plays in his early 20s. Like he is still very young. 
And just because he's been around a while, we kind of separate him from Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody and James Wiseman. But he's a hell of a lot closer to those guys in terms of experience than he is to the older players. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr. And I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so we are going to rip through five games from last night, which was just a jam-packed NBA slate Tons of good basketball to get to. We're going to hit on 10 teams in total, starting with the Bucks and the Pelicans. So the Bucks beat the Pelicans on the road, 128 to 119. Chris Middleton and Brandon Ingram were both out for this game. It was supposed to be kind of like a Giannis versus Zion type of battle. That was the way it was billed. But Zion had an absolute nightmare of a time uh, dealing with Milwaukee's defense. They just pressured him on the ball with Drew Holiday attacking his handle. And knowing that Drew Holiday was, he had the freedom to get beat off the dribble because he had Brooke Lopez and Giannis helping on the back line. He finished just seven for 16 in the painted area in that game. He did have seven assists, but he also had six turnovers. Um, And then, you know, as far as the battle with Giannis goes, Giannis poured in 42 and 10 on only 17 shots. So not much of a battle there. But what was really interesting to me about this particular game was it was kind of like a great explanation of the importance of stretch bigs, which this is going to be a theme throughout the rest of this show tonight because we're going to talk about it a little bit with another team that's playing really well lately, the Minnesota Timberwolves, who have been leaning on Nas Reed, a stretch big, which is really opening things for them on the offensive end of the floor. And what's the counter to having Brooke Lopez hawk the paint all night to contain Zion? Well, Jonas Valanciunas is not a not, not typically a super aggressive three-point shooter, but he is a capable three-point shooter. And he made six threes in that first half, making Brook Lopez pay for hawking the paint. 
and he had 28 points in the first half. But flip that dynamic a little bit. How does Jonas Valanciunas like to play defense? Same type of thing. A super deep drop coverage, lingering around the paint, helping on every drive, just like Brooke Lopez does. And Brooke Lopez is arguably the best rim protector, three-point shooter big that we have in the league. In the third quarter, Brooke Lopez had 13 points on five jump shots. He had a couple of big corner threes when Jonas was helping over on uh, on drives. He had a pick and pop three above the break. He had like an ISO face-up jump shot in the short corner on the right side against Zion Williamson. Um, and that same dynamic flipped on New Orleans for them overhelping with their rim-protecting center. The Bucs really dominated the second half. They led by as many as 18 um, the Pelicans did go on a late run and got it within three before Drew Holiday. Um, they ran, you know, they got it within three. They come down the floor. Uh, Brooke Lopez comes and sets the ball screen. CJ, CJ McCollum, who's had a nightmare defending and pick and roll the last like week or two, uh, goes under the screen. And Drew Holiday, who's a professional pull-up shooter, just rises up and knocks down what effectively amounts to the dagger. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks are now in sole possession of the best record in basketball. And it's been kind of funny because it's been a really uneven stretch from them because they won four straight after losing to the Lakers, and then they blew a game on the road in Houston with all of their stars playing. Then they absolutely dominated the Warriors, and then they got 50-pieced by the Memphis Grizzlies. They were down by 50 points in the fourth quarter. And then they you know, finished that streak off by handling the Utah Jazz and the New Orleans Pelicans. So it's been kind of uneven, but... The bottom is completely falling out for the Boston Celtics. And next thing you know, now they are 22-8 and in first place overall in the NBA. It's kind of unusual to see a 22-8 and team as the best record in the league, but that just goes to show you how much parity there is in the NBA right now. Um, the Pelicans have now lost four games in a row, and it's their defense that's mainly fallen apart. They have a 121 defensive rating in their last four games against some good offenses too in Utah, Phoenix, and Milwaukee. And I, this is something that, you know, this is something that you're going to see kind of be a recurring theme for these heavy drop coverage teams that that kind of have some limited defensive players playing, right? Because C.J. McCollum, not a great defensive player. Trey Murphy will one day be a good defensive player. Right now, not a great defensive player. Zion Williamson shows some flashes, had a big corner three block the other night, you know, looking like he was at Duke. He's making more plays than he used to make, but he still is getting hunted a lot in specific situations, particularly at the end of games, the Utah Jazz in their second matchup, hunted him a lot in that overtime game. So, like, they've got some limited offensive players. And so against bad teams that don't have great pull-up jump shooting and aren't great at executing in the half court, they can funnel Jonas Valanciunas and they can replicate a good defense. And they are sixth in defense overall this season, right? That seems good on the surface. But the truth of the matter is, according to Cleaning the Glass, when they are playing against top 10 teams by point differential – the Pelicans are allowing 116.2 points per 100 possessions, which ranks 20th in the league against that particular set of teams. As a result, they are 6-10 against teams that are 500 or better and 12-2 and against below 500 teams. So there's some fool's gold stuff going on with the Pelicans where they're kind of manhandling bad teams on the strength of their drop coverage and playing better defense against those teams, and they're really struggling against the best teams. Now, Brandon Ingram, when he's engaged, is a very good defensive wing that solves a lot of problems, right? In When they get into the playoffs, I don't think they're going to play Jonas as much. I think they're going to go small a lot. It's going to be a lot more Larry Nance. So I, I'm not down on them overall. But I do think that, you know, when they were at the top of the West, maybe that's not a realistic idea of where they are. They're probably a little bit more middle-of-the-pack type of team 
in the Western Conference. All right, moving on to Mavericks Timberwolves. So the uh, the Timberwolves were missing Carl Towns and Rudy Gobert in this game and won one sixteen to one oh six. Minnesota was actually trailing thirty seven to twenty nine in the second quarter and finished the second quarter on a twenty eight to seven run to take a thirteen point lead and really never looked back at that point. It was a really interesting lineup that they won that particular game with. If you remember when they made the trade, I, I didn't fundamentally like the way that they had changed their identity because they were kind of like a five out basketball team. You know, they would have uh, um, they would have Carl Towns at the center and they would play, you know, Patrick Beverly who's a good perimeter defender. You know, Jaden McDaniels would be out there a lot as a uh, as a perimeter defender. You know, they, they, they had a lot of good perimeter defense players that they shipped out in the deal. And as a result, they were playing a lot of D'Angelo Russell and Carl Towns at the four, having to guard perimeter players. And the whole fundamental identity of the team shifted. And now you've got Rudy Gobert clogging things up in the paint all the time. Well, the lineup that they uh, ran to get this advantage against Dallas in the second quarter was Anthony Edwards, who was a very good on-ball defender. Obviously, he still has some ways to go in terms of team defense, but he's a very good on-ball defender. Jalen Newell, who's young and a very good athlete, is capable of good on-ball defense. Austin Rivers, who literally gets an NBA paycheck because he's a good on-ball defender. Jaden McDaniels, who literally gets an NBA paycheck because he's a good defensive wing. And Nas Reed. And so as a result, they were able to, play, able to play five out basketball on the offensive end of the floor. And on the perimeter, they were able to contain, which makes it so that their defense is more functional, even without Rudy Gobert on the floor. And I thought they did a really nice job in that second quarter run of just like pressing up on Dallas, because Dallas can be really slow. And they walk the ball up the floor, and then they run their action, and they you know end up kicking out to some dude for three most of the time. But they usually only can get one action in. And you really limit their ability to attack a closeout when you pressure them because now they're not getting into their offense until like 10 12 seconds on the shot clock Luca, you know gets his matchup gets to work off the dribble gets to his spot draws that double team makes that kick out pass and there's only like four seconds on the shot clock so if you catch it and they make one solid defensive rotation all of a sudden a limited offensive player someone like dorian finney smith who can knock down a catch and shoot three but isn't an outstanding closeout attacker that dude now has to make a play and man, Dallas's offense just completely fell to pieces in that second quarter run just because they were, uh, Minnesota was doing a good job of pressuring them while they were trying to walk the ball up, which was slowing them down, getting them into their offense. And then on the offensive end of the floor, that true five out spacing with Nas Reed picking and popping to the three point line as opposed to rolling to the basket opened up everything for people driving to the basket. So they had Kemba Walker on the floor, the Mavericks had Kemba Walker on the floor during this stretch. They straight up just attacked him with Austin Rivers twice. He had a driving layup and one along the baseline and a driving floating and one out of pick and roll off of the left wing because Kemba Walker is a limited defensive player. And it's really hard to offer help when you've got a big guy who's camping out of the three-point line that can beat you with catch and shoot threes. Jalen Noel and Anthony Edwards both had driving layups in the second quarter run. Nas Reed had a catch, pump fake, attack, closeout, get all the way to the rim for a layup. They got to the rim at will in that group against a good defensive team in Dallas because they had spacing. And this, you know, this just goes to show you guys what we were talking about with the that last game with that uh, uh, between the Bucks and the Pelicans, and then with this one, the importance of five out spacing. Because let me just give you guys some numbers to demonstrate this. When Nas Reed is on the floor, is the only center for the Timberwolves. They have a one nineteen offensive rating, and they are plus nine 
per 100 possessions in 563 possessions. With Carl Towns, another stretch big, as the only center on the floor, 124 offensive rating. Big shock, he's a better version of Nasri. Plus five per 100 possessions in 554 possessions. Anything that ever involves Rudy Gobert, 108 offensive rating, minus two net in 1,685 possessions. So when you guys hear me talk about the difference between vertical spacing in five-out spacing, because vertical spacing is a fancy word that, that you literally hear all the time, particularly against with Rudy Gobert. Like a lot of Rudy Gobert supporters, you always will hear screen assists and vertical spacing because those are two basketball concepts which are real, but they are minuscule in value relative to what any average player in the NBA can do, which is finish out of the dunker spot. There is value there. There is value in screening. There is value in being in the dunker spot. But that is a much more replaceable value on the offensive end compared to what five-out spacing does. Five-out spacing is about making much longer defensive rotations. It's very simple. If I'm on the right wing and I beat my man off the dribble and I have my big man is guarding somebody in the dunker spot, he's already there because he's arm's distance away from the guy in the dunker spot. He's already under the rim. It's an easy rotation to make. And typically, there's already a shooter in the corner. That defender can then crack down on the big man in the dunker spot, right? It's an easy rotation to make. If I'm guarding the man in the corner and there is nobody in the dunker spot, I have to cover significantly more ground to get over there. And chances are, especially when you're dealing with guys that are working on the perimeter, you have to have quicker defensive players out there, which are usually smaller. So the lack of rim protection makes it so much easier for you to get to the rim. And the thing that's so frustrating about it is how is it that the general manager, how is it that the front office for the Minnesota Timberwolves didn't look at the roster, see who your star is? Your star is Anthony Edwards. Literally guard LeBron. That's what he reminds me of. Because he is a downhill power guard getting to the rim. He needs space to get to the rim. The best version of this team was always going to be spacing. Just like LeBron needed Chris Bosh, just like LeBron needed Kevin Love, just like LeBron needed Anthony Davis. You, When you are a downhill power player, you are always going to be at your best when you have space to operate. And that, I, that concept, I think, has been overlooked way too frequently in the NBA these days because teams are obsessed with navigating the NBA regular season with a good drop coverage. And I'm not undercutting the value of that. It is value, but it's a give and a take. You're giving rim protection at the expense of easy offense. When offense is clunky, it gets discouraging. When guys are struggling on the offensive end, they're less willing to work hard on defense because they're not feeling good and confident about themselves. Anthony Edwards, if he's feeling good about himself getting to the rim, he's going to be more willing to sit in a stance and contain a ball handler. If you contain a ball handler, you don't need a rim protector. Rim, the best form of rim protection in basketball is perimeter defense. And so I think that I think that the Minnesota Timberwolves have been a great like case study in how team building in an old style persuaded a team to waste a bunch of assets on a player that kind of caps the, the the success of this particular team. They are six and four since the Carl Towns injury. They've won three straight. Anthony Edwards on the floor with Nas Reed and no Gobert or Carl Towns this season is plus thirteen per one hundred possessions in 440 possessions. Could not be more clear the direction this team needs to go. And the problem is, is they overpaid for what is a really bad contract in Rudy Gobert. And there's no chance in hell that they're ever going to recoup those assets. 
So they're probably going to end up camping on him as a, as a matter of pride at this point, um, especially for a newly hired GM. Um, last thing I wanted to hit on in this game was just Dallas's offense. They are really prone to these cold spells uh, because they become super predictable bringing the ball up the floor slow. We just talked about this. If you bring the ball up slow and you don't get into your action until you get the right matchup, then you might not actually start beating someone off the dribble till 10 seconds are left, which means you're not making that kick out pass till there's only a handful of seconds left, which means you limit your ability to have multiple attacks or to give people the chance to drive and kick a little bit. So what I'd like to see is more of a change up from Luca. Now, for, it's more like a fastball to everything he throws as a changeup. But at the end of the day, Luca needs to change the pace a little bit when they get super stagnant. I'd like to see him try to bring the ball up with pace, specifically as a mix-up when they're getting a little bit too stagnant on the offensive end. All right, Portland-OKC. This was a really fun duel. The next two games, we're just going to talk about the very end of the games. Um, Portland-OKC, uh, it was a fun duel between Shea Gilders-Alexander and, and uh, Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons. Um, it was really close about middle of the fourth quarter. Anthony Simons hits back-to-back pull-up threes. He had a bunch of pull-up jumpers down the stretch of this game, a couple of them that were right in Shea Gilgis-Alexander's face. And then on the other end of the floor, Shea Gilgis-Alexander was just completely bullying Anthony Simons, getting to his spot, literally just hitting the same move over and over again. Spread, iso, top of the key, couple hard dribbles to the left, get to 10 feet, pound dribble, step back, and just rise up from like 10 to 12 feet for that little short jump shot. You know, one of the things I love about SGA is he's got a super versatile scoring skill set. Almost no two shots look alike because he's got so many different spots on the floor that he can rise up and shoot. It's kind of like the opposite of what you've seen from James Harden over the years. Um, But then down the stretch, Damian Lillard makes two massive reverse layups to tie the game. But with three seconds left, SGA, guarded by Justice Winslow, kind of cuts down to the block. And on the catch, just quick spins to the baseline, which forces Justice Winslow to take a couple hard defensive slides and does another pound dribble step back, gets plenty of separation, rises up and squishes a little 15-footer on the baseline at the buzzer for his second buzzer-beating game winner of the season. Check this out. SGA leads the entire NBA with 79 points in clutch situations this year on just 51 shot attempts. That's insane. He's playing like an MVP this year. He's just on a terrible team. He's got an, uh, the, the, uh, when he's on the floor, they're about dead even with teams, which is, doesn't sound impressive, but when you look at the roster, it absolutely is. And they get outscored by eight points per 100 possessions when he's off. That's, that's an on-off split that replicates what most MVPs do. It's just a combination of outstanding pull-up jump shooting and downhill scoring at the rim. He is sixth in field goal percentage among pull-up shooters who are taking at least eight per game at 45%, which is outstanding. And John Morant is the only guard in the league who scores more in the restricted area per game. All right, Orlando, Atlanta. So Orlando comes in on a six-game winning streak. Atlanta actually led this game 124 to 112 with three minutes left. Trey Young hit a pull-up three uh, because Mo Wagner was just a little bit slow getting up. Trey, of course, gets right in Mo uh, Wagner's face, starts talking shit, you know, because the the Hawks just talk tons of shit for being a pretty average basketball team. Um, And then the wheels just completely came off. DeJounte and Trey started turning the basketball over. Trey kept uh, they, the the Magic played uh, Kevon Harris down the stretch of this game, and he did a really nice job defending Trey Young, just walling him up, cutting him off from the rim, and forcing him to shoot over the top. He kept trying this like janky floating bank shot. I want to be clear, Trey had a great game, but he really struggled down the stretch of this game. But he kept trying this like janky floating bank shot that he kept missing. And then Markel Fultz, 
you know, we talked a lot about how his hustle plays on the glass helped the Magic beat the Celtics in that second road matchup the other day. Well, he did it as a scorer in this particular game, got downhill twice in the final minutes, including a reverse layup with three seconds left that put the Magic up by one. And then out of a timeout, the Magic or the, the Hawks run like an action, a screening action to get DeJounte Murray on the left baseline, and he shoots a pull-up jump shot, a tough, fading, drifting pull-up jump shot that he misses. But Paolo Banchero gets up into his landing area. Easy call. This wasn't one of those like, oh, he jumped way forward. Like they he legitimately fouled him. And DeJounte Murray goes to the line, makes two free throws, and the game is over. And it's, you know, you, you really have to be conscious fouling jump shooters at the end of games because you'd much rather lose on a guy making a tough shot, like a tough drifting jump shot, than to watch him win the game standing by himself 15 feet away from the basket at the free throw line, right? But it's just a good lesson for a young player on a young team. In, uh, uh, and it sucks, but this is the year where they can afford to make mistakes because they don't have any real ambitions. But this could have been their seventh consecutive win had they not made that mistake. So it's a good lesson for Paolo Boncaro to learn. So I want to talk about Markel Fultz for just a second. Um, we talked about his hustle plays, but I want to talk about his overall production. So on the season, he's averaging 12, 4, and 5 in 27 minutes per game with 1.7 blocks and steals combined in just 27 minutes. So if you extrapolate that out to per 36, which is a normal high-volume uh, player, that's 16, 5, and 7 with 2.2 stocks. That was his season I, uh, 24 against Atlanta. And if you look at his production, he has 117 points on 118 pick and rolls counting passes, which is above average. That's 58th percentile. 26 points on 20 ISOs, which is excellent. That's in the 93rd percentile. And 87 points, if you, if, if you just look at him as a passer, so plays where he passed out of ISO or passed out of pick and roll, they've scored 87 points on 82 possessions, which is very good. He's also 23 for 52 on jumpers, which is 44%, which is great. Seven for 15 on threes, which is outstanding. 16 for 41 off the dribble, which is 39%, which is not good, but it's respectable. You know, good is right around 40. Great's right around 45. He is 0 for 4 on pull-up threes, though. Uh, though the only real weak spot right here, uh, right now for him is at the rim. He's about 49% on the rim. But he's just 40. Uh, he's just 24 years old. You know, we've he's been through such a weird journey since he came into the league, but he still is a very exciting young guard who just has not been able to stay healthy and available on the court. But there's a lot of really interesting stuff coming from him to start this season. Um, the Hawks, even with their fortunate free throw win against Orlando, are just five and eight in their last 13 games. They have the ninth, wor uh, the ninth worst record in the league over that span. They're 17th in offense and 22nd in defense, 27th. In rebounding, Trey Young is shooting just 42% from the field and 25% from three with four and a half turnovers per game. The reality is, is that just like we've always talked about with LeBron and AD, with Kawhi and Paul George, with any of the other star pairings around the league, you had better be a super duper star or be really good in the details of the game. And if you're going to be 27th in rebounding and 22nd in defense, you're going to have to have your stars produce better. And Trey Young and DeJounte Murray just simply have not been good enough. And I don't really like the energy around this team. They talk a lot of shit, like I said, for being a pretty average basketball team. And they don't really look like they're having a ton of fun on a night-to-night -night basis. Plus, there's all that stuff going on with Trey and the coach as well. It's just a really disappointing season for the Atlanta Hawks overall. Uh, Raptors Sixers. So this is the Tobias Harris corner three game. So the Raptors looked like they were going to run away with this one in regulation. They were up by seven with four minutes left. 
And Tobias Harris, we talk a lot about rescuing possessions with shot making, catches in the corner, late clock situation, guarded, and just rises up over a contest. Probably got fouled. It didn't get called and knocks down a three, which kind of changed the dynamic to the game. Then Embiid draws a double team, swing, swing. De'Anthony Melton, same corner, knocked down three. Now it's a one-point game. Embiid draws another foul, goes to make two free throws. Now they're up one. Then James Harden gets a driving layup in transition. Now they're up by three. They flip the script on the Raptors pretty quick down the stretch. Uh, but then Pascal Siakam, transition drive, draws a foul, makes a free throw. Then he makes like a really high-difficulty scoop shot to send the game to OT. Pascal Siakam was great tonight or last night, 38-15-6. and six. Uh, But in overtime, it was locked at 101 forever before Tobias Harris once again on a corner kickout hits a three to break the tie. He actually hit another three on a pass from De'Anthony Melton that put the lead up to six, but it got wiped away by an illegal screen by P.J. Tucker on review. Um, And then in the final minute, Pascal Siakam missed two pull-up threes and the Raptors lose. They've now lost nine of their last 11 games. Fred Van Vliet is going to have nightmares about that game. He missed several wide-open threes uh, down the stretch and finished just three for 15 from the field. But you guys can probably guess where I'm going here. The story of this game, once again, was Toronto in transition. Through the first third, these, these numbers are absolutely wild. Through the first 38 minutes of the game, Toronto had 21 transition possessions, leading to 27 points. They averaged 24 transition points a game, like we talked about in the Golden State game when Golden State held them to 12. Over the last 10 minutes of regulation in OT, they managed just one single transition possession. That Siakam drive where he drew the free throw right before his scoop shot, which Embiid blocked, and they called a foul on P.J. Tucker, and he made one free throw. So all but one of their possessions down the stretch over the last 15 minutes of action was in the half court. And they are one of the very worst half court offenses in the league. Philly is the second best half court defense in the league, and they managed just 21 total points in the final 15 minutes of that game. That's the story of the season for the Raptors. A complete lack of offensive skill that makes it so that they cannot win unless the game is fast and loose up and down the court. As soon as you strangle the pace on them and trap them in the half court, you can beat this team. And that's precisely why I was pitching that OG Ananobi for Darius Garland trade as something that would just influx some offensive talent into this team. Um, Zach Lowe had a report that OG Ananobi has sky-high trade value and that a lot of teams are interested. I mentioned OG Ananobi as a potential trade target if the Lakers wanted to go win now with Anthony Davis. Uh, But the bottom line is is they got to do something because fundamentally this team is not capable of scoring in the half court and you have to be able to score in the half court to win in the NBA playoffs. It's just just the reality. Unless you are an all-world defensive team the way the 2021 Bucks or the 2020 Lakers were – and the Toronto, Raptor, the Toronto Raptors are not an all-world defensive team. That's just a fact. Um, you know, and then for Philly, that's always going to be their best indicator of success. Can they control the pace? And when they sprint back in transition and they keep teams in the half court, they get stops. They have the second best half court defense in the league. They are up to 11th in transition defense after their nightmare start. You guys probably remember us talking a lot about that at the beginning of the season. You know, <clears throat> after the Lakers game, I told you guys that I thought the Sixers were primed to go on a run to start the year. Why? Because they fixed their transition defense and they were starting to get healthy finally. And they've won five in a row now. I was saying that that would probably start next year when Tyrese Maxey came back. They're already starting without him. So this is an, it's an exciting team and it all begins with them playing lights out on the defensive end of the floor. You know, I also said before the year that 
if you guys remember in our power rankings, I had my top four, you know, Golden State, Boston, Milwaukee, and the Clippers. I think I had Milwaukee in second, Boston in third. But if you remember five and six, I had Philly and Brooklyn. Because of how much talent they had, I just had them as if things go right contenders because they had so many question marks. You know, James Harden's health, Joel Embiid's health, Doc Rivers, you know, everything going on in Brooklyn. We talked about those things. Well, they got off to rough starts, but both of those teams are hot now and they are now fourth and fifth in the Eastern Conference. All right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. Remember, our uh, plan for the rest of the week, we are taking tomorrow off, but keep an eye on the feeds for Thursday. We are going to have a full breakdown of the New York Knicks and their recent success. Then we're going to take a couple days off for the holidays. We'll take uh, um, Friday, Saturday off. And then Sunday, for Christmas Day, we plan on doing three different instant reaction videos. So keep an eye on the feeds, and I will see you guys on Thursday and then again on Sunday. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, 
It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.